Well, I ask you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Joshua chapter 9. You need a copy, there's one there in front of you. We've made several stops in Joshua over the last month or so, I guess a little more than a month. An important book, an important bridge in the Old Testament between the patriarchs, the giving of the law, and uh, the life of Moses, and the life of the people in the promised land. I was thinking, it's no secret when big things happen, um, or a big thing is about to happen, uh, word gets around. I was thinking about this a season. We're entering into a, a tropical storm hurricane season. Maybe you've seen that on the Weather Channel or other places. And so when that high pressure you know, goes over the, the warm moisture in the Gulf or the, the Atlantic and that starts to swirl and starts to form, well, we, we hear about it, or at least on the, the coastal states, uh, just to get ready, make preparations in case uh, it moves in our direction. And uh, this is what's happening in the land of Canaan. Um, The people in the land have heard about the Israelites. They've heard about this Joshua and the unstoppable force that is coming their direction. And so they're starting to prepare themselves uh, for that. Fear is growing, and uh, they decide they're going to collaborate for survival. Maybe if we join forces, we can defeat Israel. Um, That first attack on Ai didn't go so well for them, and it showed maybe the rest of Canaan that it was possible I'd have a chance against Israel and her God. Um, but instead of their hearts melting before the Lord, as it was for the people of Jericho, their hearts are hardening, um, ready to fight uh, here. So, but there's one group, uh, one people that try a slightly different tactic than this. Uh, due west of where the Israelites are camped uh, in Gilgal here, in the high country is the city of, of Gibeon. Just to give you a reference, if you can picture the map, if if we were at Jerusalem, the home of the Gibeonites would be about six miles. Jerusalem is here, then that's to the northwest. Six miles northwest of Jerusalem. Um, So with Jericho defeated, Ai, now the north is defeated, Gibeon to the west would likely be the next stop for the Israelites. Uh, So fear is spreading through the land, pretty strong at Gibeon. uh, And they come up with a plan that we're going to read about. So... You can follow along with me uh, the first 15 verses of Joshua chapter 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, They on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, and how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God, for we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt, 
And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Basan who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them. Behold, they have burst. These garments and sandals of ours were worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. We'll stop there for the moment. God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are working your word to perform it. And not one utterance that you have given to us will return to you empty. And so it is in this truth and promise that we rest this morning as we come to your word. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. That you would teach us. Reminding us that you are our counselor, that you are our deliverer, the one who extends mercy. Lord, we thank you for this word. Make us attentive now, may be proclaimed faithfully for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Um, I may have mentioned, many will say that my brother and I look alike. We certainly sound alike if you were to listen to us on a recording or uh, over the phone. I think my loss of hair is making it clearer now that, that we are not identical twins. Um, but my father-in-law is identical twin, and if you were to look at my father-in-law, Ron, and his twin, Rob, kind of like Colin and Preston who aren't here this morning, but uh, similar tone, similar posture. I mean, it's really hard to tell them apart unless you've spent a considerable amount of time with them. And uh, they, had a, they had a really good time with this as they were growing up, um, and they went into service together. And so you can imagine as the, the drill sergeants are, are laying into Ron when they, were, they thought they were you know, laying into Rob, um, and these guys played that up uh, and would bounce back and forth. And I think they had a good time until they were caught and had to pay for their sins, I guess, in that way. Um, but in the text that we're looking at this morning, the leaders of Israel are quite convinced by this ruse. Something that looks very convincing. Um, everything the Gibeonites said, everything they showed them fit the story uh, that they were conveying. Worn out sandals, stale bread, cracked wineskins. Uh, these guys have come a long way, so it seems. And so they make a decision which after three days turns out to be the wrong decision. So I want us to consider this morning this decision process both for the Israelites and the Gibeonites and the consequences of it. The process itself, the consequences of these uh, decisions. Um, what effect it had for the Gibeonites, the Israelites. What, what it means for us when we speak and act in the name of the Lord. The decision of the Gibeonites to, to create this scheme it seems to be a pretty reasonable one you know stay stay in Gibeon and let the Israelites run over us destroy us or try to survive 
And then, you know, if it doesn't work, if this ruse doesn't work, well, then we get run over anyway. What have we got to lose? And so they could have joined with the other you know, Canaanite people to battle against Israel. We're given some indication in the text here that perhaps because of the way they were governed a little differently than some of the other Hittites and Amorites and Jebusites. Verse 11 says that the elders of Gibeon gave this instruction. So there's some more independent actions. Um, more, more uh, different jurisdiction than what we know of. But they're in the path of Israel. Okay? They're scared. They've heard reports of this God who uh, goes among them. Um, now, I guess we have, to, we have to hand it to the folks, really. Um, if you want to live, if you want to survive, you're going to do what's necessary. I mean, you'll take drastic measures as we see them doing we'll do what it takes and so they they come up with this impressive somewhat time-consuming trick to carry this out maybe think of a halloween many years ago when i was living on brooklyn street next to my friend joel and his family and on halloween night um, the poor children who would go up to their house would would walk in the, the front sidewalk and then if they stepped up onto the porch, they would catch a glimpse of this white object swinging towards them. And if they didn't move out of the way, this white object, which looked a lot like a ghost, would actually come and hit them. And this was no small ghost. I mean, this was like a basketball wrapped in a bedsheet. And they had a pulley system that went into their front tree and you know, would go kind of rap under the door into the house. And so they're peering out the window ready to pull this thing when some when some poor child comes up to the front. So eventually you see kids stopping at the, at the end of the driveway, not even going up to their house. But I thought, what a lot of work to fool. Um, I think they had way too much time on their hands going into Halloween. But the Gibeonites went through a lot of work to make the story believable. They didn't know how much time they had, um, and so they put this, this elaborate trick together. Deceitful. They lie. The text doesn't excuse this lie but in their deception, we see that it works, just as they had planned. So let's consider Israel's decision, how to make peace with these travelers. They've been told by the Lord through Moses, Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 7, that they are to make no covenant with the peoples of the land. The peoples of the land are devoted to destruction. So how, how could Israel even consider this? If that was true, one thing that may have made it a little easier for the Israelites is that the people of Gibeon, did you notice they make reference to the Lord God? The power of God, just like Rahab did when talking with the spies, makes that appeal. We find several parallels with Rahab and the Gibeonites here. But the fact that they seem to fear the name of the Lord, that may have made it a little easier for uh, the leadership to want to include Gibeon in the life of Israel. But here, here, the most significant factor in this decision, relying completely on their own perceptions. Um, they buy into it. The plan works. We're given no indication that Israel intended to violate God's command. I mean, they're, they're just flat out fooled by this. I think it's hard to make the case that you know, Israel is guilty of covenant violation, but they are guilty of not consulting with the Lord. Maybe easy to see how, the, how, how they came to this decision, but the way in which they went 
about it is a problem. So everything that Israel has done in the land, everything they've done successfully at least, has been when they have sought the Lord's instruction. And now it's such a huge decision. Making a covenant with the Canaanite people, they do not seek the Lord's instruction. Um, Something we need to be very cautious of in our decision making as God's people. Um, Our particular view, our perception of what may be happening may not be the most accurate. We need to be careful in trusting ourselves. Even, Even as I say that, and before I go any further, I don't want us to ignore the reality that God has given us senses um, you know, helping us to, to make decisions. You pull a piece of meat out of the freezer and you're overwhelmed by the stench. Um, not a real hard decision to throw that away. Or you see flames coming from your neighbor's house. Yes, you should pray at some point, but you don't need divine revelation from the Lord to make a decision. You make the call. You, you ensure that that folks are safe. But the danger comes when our, our default mode in making decisions, whether they be small decisions or, or, or bigger decisions, is when it's based on our, our perceptions or feelings instead of on our knees before the Lord. A really, really popular belief, popular saying, it's certainly the Disney theology uh, becoming more ingrained in our educational system is, what does your heart tell you? What does your heart say? It sounds so simple, doesn't it? And so appropriate. I mean, this, this is who I am. This is my heart. You be true to, to yourself, true to your feelings. Follow your heart. Um, that's why it's so tempting to believe. Recent article, uh, Janie B. Cheney, she's a uh, commentator for World Magazine. I love the way she thinks and writes. And she was reflecting on this phrase, follow your heart. And she, she notes that the message from the psalmist, as well as the Apostle Paul, was... Test me, O God, and try my heart. Try your heart. Follow your heart. It's a one-word difference. One word that goes from self-examination to self-sovereignty. Jesus gives some examples of what our hearts stained by sin tell us. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness, slander. See that in Matthew 15. That's not a good track record. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, the prophet Jeremiah tells us. We cannot trust our hearts because the rebellious heart rejects God and His ways. Now a new heart, the heart of flesh, the heart that we have in union with Christ, this seeks God and His ways. This is the heart of faith, the heart that believes the promises of God. You say, well, you know, which one do we listen to? Do we have two of them? As disciples of Christ, we've been given a new heart. But the old way still speaks to us, still tries to influence our decision making. And so the old heart, the old way will twist and pervert every thought, every decision that we need to make. And it perverts it in a way so that that decision is for our own glory and not the glory of God. Um, The new heart, different goal altogether, moves toward the glory of God, pushes us to believe the promises that God has made. Um, So does it mean you ignore your, your innermost feelings when making a decision? No, God has given us those emotions, those perceptions, 
but uh, we need to be ever so cautious in trusting those innermost feelings when making uh, important decisions. Um, wise, discerning, needing the help of the Holy Spirit to listen um, with a heart of faith. Apostle Paul says that, that we, what we see, what we pick up by our perceptions is only temporary. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. Great example of this in the Tales of the Kingdom uh, allegory, beautiful, well-written allegory by David and Karen Maines. And one of the main characters in this story is Scarboy. And Scarboy has been given a, a new name. His name has been changed to Hero, but he's been told by the enchanter that seeing is believing. What you see is what is real. Trust your perceptions. But it doesn't quite resonate with him. There's something about that, what his mother taught him, that doesn't seem quite right. Uh, So a scar boy makes his way and and risks his way towards the great park. He keeps thinking about this issue of trust. Seeing is not believing. Faith in the promise of God, faith in the finished work of Christ, our union with with Him as our guide. He is our, our guardian the decisions of life before us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. So the leaders of Israel were fooled. Their perceptions were wrong. Um, It was such a big decision. They do not uh, seek the Lord. And there are consequences for this. Consequences for all involved. We're going to reverse the order here and look at the consequences for Israel and then come back to Gibeon. So Joshua, as a representative of the leader here, he makes peace with the Gibeonites. Uh, they take an oath uh, to let them live, and no sooner they sign the dotted line than uh, they uncover the truth. They were tricked. So what's the solution? They, they were tricked. Um, they, they didn't play fair, so deal's off, right? Um, the leaders of Israel made a promise. They've made a covenant with this people. Let me read verses 8 and 9. The people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, we have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. So they had made a promise to let these people live before God. You can imagine the logistics that went with this and assimilating you know, these people into the life of Israel. But did you notice the internal consequence of this decision? Verse 18, And all the congregation murmured against the leaders. There's a loss of trust among the people. And it could be that they were mad that they couldn't just you know, go into Gibeon and, and take the, the plunder and the spoils. But there, there seems to be a weight here. <clears throat> on their frustration over this covenant decision. Why, why, why did you do this? Why did you not seek the Lord? What is this going to mean for us? You can sort of hear those behind-the-scenes side conversations. So this is a low point for Joshua and the, and the leaders in their ability to lead. Um, when people don't trust their leaders, it makes it very difficult to, to listen, um, to follow through. Uh, true then, certainly true today. But we need to know just how Joshua and the leaders respond. They had messed up in not seeking the Lord's counsel. 
We get that comment in verse 14. But they don't mess up again in trying to fix it. As unpopular as it may have been with the people, they stand behind the promise that they made. They acknowledge that this oath was made in the name of the Lord. And they acknowledge that that is serious. That that is binding. And we're actually shown in the course of, of history how seriously God takes this very oath that Joshua and the leaders made with the Gibeonites. In 2 Samuel 21, we're told that because Saul killed some Gibeonites, there was a famine in the land for, uh, I think it was for three years. So Saul had broken this oath, made in Joshua 9, some 400 years, some 400 years earlier, and then it has consequences. Trouble in David's time. Our sins have consequences, don't they? The sin of Achan has serious consequences. Men died. The rest of the land is now you know, ready to take up arms against Israel. Israel has to, to assimilate and protect an entire group of people now because the leaders saw some of these provisions and took them for themselves. Didn't offer a prayer. Do, do you think your sin, however small, matters in the world that we're living in? And we could say the same thing about acts of faith and acts of obedience, however small. We may not, we may not be around. We may be long gone before the consequences of our faithfulness or our sin are realized. But the leaders do not follow one bad decision after another. Again, immediate application for us. We're responsible for our words and actions. Disciples of Jesus, our decisions reflect upon Him. They reflect upon the character of God. That's why it's such a, a big deal for Israel to keep this covenant. Because God keeps covenant. He doesn't lie. He doesn't deceive. He's faithful to His Word each and every time. So if we're growing as Christians, and we're growing in the mind of Christ, and we will mediate this character of God all the more. We stand by our Word. We, we make when we make an oath in His name. It's expected that we're going to keep that. Um, as I was thinking about this, you know, most of us have some German or Dutch or Irish or Norwegian roots in our blood. So we, we stand by our oaths. Um, I, I get that. But even that, that disposition of our ancestors only goes so far. Um, it's a heritage of faith, a life of, of faith animated by the Spirit of God that enables us to reflect His care and our integrity and our honesty and our patience, humility. God's character is on display wherever you go. Wherever you go. You carry His name. Also means when you make a bad decision, or we make a, a poor decision as a church body, we must take responsibility before the Lord. Accept the consequences of that. The consequences may be painful, The Lord may not remove those consequences in His fatherly discipline of us, but we must not continue to make poor decisions. James Montgomery Boyce said this well, disobedience is no solution to the bad consequences of previous disobedience. Obedience is the solution because it provides conditions in which God frequently does the unexpected. God is at work through our obedience and He is at work through the consequences of our disobedience. When we seek His face, when we 
we uphold his name in the midst of grumbling, in the midst of opposition, as we see the leaders do here, that's, that's fertile soil for the Lord to work. Um, for His grace to be made known in a powerful way. Um, we see this is what happens for the people of Gibeon. As God, God works the unexpected. So by making this covenant with Israel, Gibeonites get to keep their lives. That's one consequence. They live, they survive. But now Israel is bound to them and has a responsibility towards them. That's something we'll see, you see more of in the next chapter. Um, so they succeed in the goal that they have. It doesn't come without a curse. Joshua places this curse on them in verse 23. So theirs would be a life among the people of service. And not just any service, but kind of that menial service where they're drawing water and cutting wood uh, wherever it was needed. But what's interesting, then the last verse of this chapter, we're told that they cut wood and collected water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord. So these people, these Gibeonites, are cursed to servanthood. They would serve in a special way. I mean, think of all the wood that you needed for their sacrifices, all the water that was needed. So this kept the Gibeonites in this close contact with the work of the priests and the worship of the people. So they're going to observe this. They're going to absorb, be absorbed into the life of the people as part of this. You think, what what a mercy of God that is. He didn't reject this people, but uses them for His service. Even their deceit and trickery. Even then, God's grace abounds. He gives life to these liars. Maybe you remember Jacob. Genesis 27. I mean, Jacob was a guy who gave lessons on deceit and lying. And yet, how many times do we read in the Bible that our God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob? The consequence for Gibeon is life. A life as servants, but a life among the community of God's people. And much like Rahab, God restores a people to Himself in a way that we just cannot see ahead of time would never be expected. Rahab becomes, well, she became a princess in Judah in the line of Christ and Gibeon becomes a very special place in the story. It's a place where God is known. David would set up a tabernacle in Gibeon. We know at least one of David's closest friends, one of his fighting men was a Gibeonite. And then later still, Gibeonites are those who return from Captivity in Babylon, and they're mentioned in Nehemiah as being among those who rebuild uh, the wall of Jerusalem. So God uses a poor decision, a failure in, in Israel's leadership to show mercy, to draw people to Himself. So we're representatives of Him, responsible for our words, our actions, the consequences of them. But even in those consequences, the Lord is working. Great Puritan preacher Jeremiah Burroughs, he said, the way of God is to bring grace out of sin. He not only overcomes and overrules evil, he makes it work toward the good. Church, of the people of God are, if, if the people of Gibeon are spared and accepted in a time of war, in a time of deception, how much more will you and I be accepted and saved by the open invitation of our God? who extends His mercy. 
for the finished work of Christ. Christ's blood is the seal. It's the certainty that the Father will never break oath to those who believe. Hebrews tells us that we have an anchor for the soul in Christ, a hope that is sure because the Holy One of Israel has made covenant. So liars can live because God is gracious to you. And He's gracious to me. So we're going to go to the table now and just be reminded, assured of God's covenant love and faithfulness to us. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word that You are gracious to liars, that You give life even in the midst of deception and sin and poor decisions. Lord, You are using those for Your greatest glory, for the good of Your people to draw more and more to Yourself. Lord, draw us, we pray to Yourself. Remind us of Your covenant love and faithfulness that You never break oath. And that we can rest in You, our God, and worship You as we ought. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.